If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here. One of the cool things about being a pastor of Christ the King is that you get to be a person too. That you get to walk along the same journey that everybody else is taking. And over this next extended period of time, we're going to walk together in a way that I hope we've never walked before. With more transparency, more authenticity, more passion, and more joy. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us at our Ferndale campus as well. And those of you who are joining online, welcome to a brand new series called The Road Out, which is officially about 10 days old in my heart. My moment of clarity came sitting on the corner of Willowdale Boulevard in Brandon, Manitoba in a 1978 Honda Civic. I was sitting in that Civic about... 6.55 on a Sunday night, and I was freaking out because I had a dilemma. My dilemma was this. My parents told me to be at church by 7 o'clock. I left a few minutes late, and so I was pushing up against that timeline. My problem was not that I couldn't make it in time. My problem was that sitting across the street from the front door of my church were all of my friends. They were gathered in a 7-Eleven parking lot as they did every single Sunday night, This particular night, I'd not been able to do my normal ritual of rigging the back door of the church so that I could drive down the back alleys in order to get there. Now, I was running a little bit behind, and I found myself sitting in a car having a conversation with God. I don't know about you, but in my life, God's not very subtle. There are moments when he just wants to get your attention, and so he takes your attention my stereo began to play the words to a song that I will never forget. But who are we to say we really love him when all we seem to do is throw his love away? Will we smile when we stand before him and laugh all the hours away or cry for the friends that we left behind along the way? In that moment, God stuck his finger on a very tender part of my life. And he, in no uncertain terms, said, Here's the deal. You're addicted to their approval. Because you're addicted to their approval, you are a slave to hypocrisy. You've been playing both sides against the middle, and it's time for it to stop, Grant. So I'm going to give you a simple decision. You can remain in the captivity of your hypocrisy and try and get their approval, or you can walk free and take the road out that I'm going to give you, and you can walk completely free. Slavery or freedom, the choice is up to you, and you get to choose right this second. We're not going a minute further, not another day further. You're going to choose, and you're going to choose now. Did I want to go back to the world of guilt and shame that I've been feeling for years and years and years, or was I finally going to take God up on his offer to show me that there was a road out? The book of Exodus is an amazing story. It's a story about a group of people who are taken by God from their slavery. It's a story of emancipation. It's a story of liberation. It's a story of an insecure leader and a group of sniveling, whining, complaining, grumbling, so-called people of God. It's a soap opera. It goes up, it goes down. There are moments of tragedy, moments of triumph. There are moments when they get it right and moments when they get it wrong. There's Moses when he's excited because he's doing exactly what God calls him to do. There's other moments when Moses fails completely. And we can find ourselves in the story of Exodus 
in unbelievable ways. I believe this story is more relevant today, thousands of years later than it's ever been before, because it's time for the people of God to put behind them the secret sins that have been enslaving them for year upon year upon year. Let me tell you what the book, the word Exodus actually means. The word Exodus actually means the road out. That's where we got the name of it. And that's where we're going to be. I have no idea how long this might take us. We might be in the book of Exodus for the next year. I don't know. All I know is through an incredible set of, of God's providence, he took me to this even though I was not planning on going here. We were supposed to be talking about marriage and relationships this weekend. We were not supposed to be in the book of Exodus, but here we are. The people of Israel are being held captive in the nation of Egypt and they've become a problem to the Egyptian leaders because they just keep multiplying. They multiply. There's, there's uh, you know, Israeli kids being born all over the place and pretty soon the Egyptian leaders begin to do the math and they understand that if this nation keeps growing the way they are inside of their boundaries, they're going to overthrow the government. And if they don't overthrow the government, they're just going to pick up and leave one day and they're going to be so plentiful, no one's going to be able to stop them. So the Egyptians come up with a plan. They decide to put the Israelites to work and the words of Exodus 1.14 describe their reality. It says this, they made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. These guys are being worked ruthlessly. Suddenly, they have, they have cruel taskmasters. Life is hard. They're stuck in the middle of this bleak reality. And into that bleak reality, they have a moment of clarity, just like I had, sitting in my little Honda, realizing, I've got to make a choice. As part of making that choice, I came to a startling realization. And the realization was this. I'm in captivity. I didn't want to admit it, but I had to admit, I was in captivity I had to say things like, I'm no longer free. I've become a captive of an outside force, and I no longer get to control my future because I'm not in control of it anymore. I'm not free to do as I know as I should because I'm no longer free to choose my own path. So many of us have been wrapped in some kind of slavery. We just don't want to call it that because it hurts too much. For some, we're enslaved by an addiction that's, that's hard to conceal and even more difficult to manage as the years go along. For some of us, it's an attitude of bitterness or rage that's rooted deep in our soul. And even though we've tried to get a handle on it over and over and over again, it just seems to, to stick its ugly head up at the worst possible time. And it gets the best of us, no matter how hard we try to take it down. Maybe you're like me, and, and, and maybe you're captive to this drive towards perfection. And you live and you die trying to gain the approval of people. Maybe for some of you, it's a, it's a pattern of behavior that seems to sabotage every relationship that you've ever had. Maybe you're one of those people who simply struggle with keeping things in balance. So even though you don't want to, you overeat and you overspend and you overdrink and you overwork and you overexcuse. And then one day, in a moment of clarity, you have to admit to yourself, because you have no other choice, I am in captivity. I don't want to be, but I'm in captivity. And finally, once and for all, I've got to do something about it. Along with the realization that we're in captivity is this one. I don't like being held captive. 
I don't like being held captive. I don't like feeling powerless. I don't like feeling guilt and shame when I cave into my own captivity. I don't like being a slave to this sin. I certainly don't like the feeling that I get when I cave into this cruel taskmaster that seems to never be satisfied until I'm broken or destroyed. I mean, we get stuck in those kinds of moments and we realize something's got to change. Something's got to change. We have this understanding that even though it was our decisions that got us into the predicament that we're in and into the slavery that we find ourselves, but finally we suddenly realize that, that, that even though we were the ones that got into it, that we can't get out of it alone. No matter what it is, we suddenly discover that it's destroying us, destroying our marriage, destroying our kids, and destroying our life. And there's this little piece of hope that says to us, you can't break captivity alone. We personalize and we say, I know I can't break captivity alone. And the reason you know that is because you tried to break it alone. You tried to break your captivity with willpower. Some of us tried to work it away. Some of us tried to confess it away, repent it away, and pray it away. None of those things are bad, at least the last three. The problem is we've been trying to do it on our own strength. We've had some moments of victory and then this thing called life just kind of snuck up on us and and we ended up going back to it even though we promised we'd never ever go back to that stuff again. And when we go back, we're wrapped in guilt and shame and that feeling of utter failure. So we find ourselves, all of ourselves, being held hostage, doing hard labor, being bitter, trying to manage our sin instead of managing our freedom and wondering if we're ever, ever, ever going to get free again. And to that reality comes a new realization that's wrapped in a different kind of surrender. All of a sudden, we're not talking about surrendering to the sin anymore. Suddenly, there's a realization that says, maybe I shouldn't surrender to the sin. Maybe I should surrender to the Savior. And we have a realization that says, only God can set me free. Only God can show me the way out. Only God can break these chains. Only God can tear down this artificial God that I found myself worshiping. And we come to a moment where we can honestly say, I finally come to my senses and I know with the knowing that I can only be free if I surrender to a God who is both with me and for me. All the way through Exodus, we're going to see this stubborn, attached God who keeps pursuing this group of people and saying the same thing to them over and over and over again. As you walk on the road out, you need to know two things. I am with you and I am for you. And that will never change. In the world of recovery, when you reach a point where you say that only God can set you free, in the world of recovery, we say you're ready for step one. Step one and 12 steps of a spiritual journey, which is something we do here at Christ the King, says this. We admitted that we were powerless over the effects of our separation from God and that our lives had become unmanageable. Out of control. Even though we tried really, really hard to fix it and put it all right and to make ourselves seem really, really fine, we suddenly got to a point where we had to say, I am messed up and I need God's help. For some of us, we think making a statement like that makes us feel weak. Apparently, it didn't make the Apostle Paul feel weak because he said it in Romans chapter 7, 18, when he said this. He said, I know nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
Paul understands this journey. I call it a tragically beautiful moment. When you reach your breaking point and you cry out to God and you acknowledge that you can't do this on your own and that you don't want to do it on your own anymore and you finally say it out loud, my life is a mess or my life has been an absolutely deep disappointment. It's never been what I thought it was going to be. I tried to do all the right things for all the right reasons and my reality is I feel like I've been enslaved by disappointment week after week month after month and year after year if that's where you find yourself you're in great company with the people of israel in the book of exodus the people of israel get to a breaking point they realize they're in captivity and they long for freedom they know that it was their own disobedience that got them into the place that they're in And as they long to be free, they do what we all do at some point. They cry out to God and they plead for his help. And then an amazing thing happens. The God that they disobeyed, the God that they turned their back on, the very God that kept calling to them, wanting a relationship, the God that they excluded and pushed to the side, the God who should have given them judgment, condemnation, and punishment, the God who should have done that does exactly the opposite. They don't get exactly what they deserve. Instead, the God who's the author of the road out does the unthinkable. And the Bible tells us God's response to the Israelites' cry for a road out in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. The Bible says this. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. I love those verses. Because when you're stuck at a crossroads and you don't know where to go, it's nice to hear that God hears you and that he sees you and that he has not forgotten you and that he's deeply, deeply concerned about the crossroads that you're at. Let's walk through these responses. They're so unbelievably important. Maybe you can uh, underline them in your Bible or in your outline. So important to know that God hears when we cry out. I mean, I know it's old school, but it's just so amazing. God can hear you. His ears perk up when your voice reaches him. God Almighty in heaven is attentive and paying attention when you call on him. No matter how you may feel, God can always hear you. He heard the cries of millions of Israelites, and he still hears the cry of people from Bellingham and people from Ferndale and people from Nooksack and Everson. He can hear all of us, and he can sort out all of the voices so he can pick yours out, just like a father can pick out the voice of his child. He hears you. Secondly, the Bible says God remembers. What does he remember? He remembers his friendship with you. He remembers the purpose and the plan that he designed specifically for your life. He remembers your unique placement in this world and the high calling that you carry. If there was a time when you walked closely with him, he remembers that unbelievable intimacy that you shared. 
when you were walking on the road with him, that narrow path, moment by moment, day by day, honestly, transparently, and authentically, God remembers you. And if God remembers you, it also means he never forgot you. Never forgotten your name. Never forgotten where you find yourself. Never forgotten the number of hairs on your head or the lack thereof. That made some of you feel a whole lot better, right? That's good. God remembers you, which means he never forgot you. Thirdly, God sees. I mean, contrary to the views of the great theologian Bette Midler, some of you caught that, God is not watching us from a distance. If you don't know what song I'm referring to, good! It was horrible. That's the worst song that's ever been, read, ever been written or ever been sung. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. That's not true! That's absolute heresy. Don't go out and try to Google the song. Do yourself a favor, please. It's just awful. God's not removed from our present reality. He's not aloof and separated. God is here right now in this place. He sees you. He knew you were going to be here today. He actually orchestrated it so you could be here today. The only reason you are here today is because you're breathing. And the only reason you're breathing is because Jesus said you could. He's sustaining every breath inside of you, every thought you're thinking, every time your heart is pounding. He's controlling your pulse right now. He brought you into the world, and he can take you out. Remember that, all right? He knows whether or not you worshipped him with passion today in church or whether you just did the same thing you always do. He sees everything. And that would freak us out if we didn't see the last response that Exodus tells us about it when it says that God is concerned. Because if God's not concerned, all he's ever really doing is this. The Bible says he's not just staring at you awkwardly and uncomfortably, but that he's concerned. Now, we've got to be careful with this one. Because the truth is, I'm concerned about the weather. But who really cares? I'm concerned about the fact that my 15-year-old daughter is going to start driving in the next two weeks. A word to the wise is sufficient, people of God. Be careful, all right? I warned you, right? I'm concerned about the economy, but that's a surface-level concern that I can't do much about. This is a different kind of concern. This word in Hebrew expresses the kind of a concern that only comes from a long-standing and loving relationship. I love my wife. We have been married for almost 24 years, so my concern for her is deep and strong. I care about her. I want the best for her. When she's out and about, I'm concerned about her well-being. I love my kids deeply, so I'm concerned about their future. I'm concerned about their dreams my concern matters because it's rooted in a deep, abiding love that says, if I had a choice, I'd give my life for those three people. God is concerned in the same way. Do you need proof? Look no further than a cross. He was so concerned about you. He wanted you to know that because he loves you. Whenever I hear that, 
I love you, I always want to know the answer to this question. How much? You know, people say, well, you don't love you, buddy. How much? Enough to inconvenience you? Enough for me to call at 3 o'clock in the morning and ask for some help? Do you love me that much? Well, the Bible teaches that God was so concerned about my captivity that he sent a Savior to lead me to freedom. This is how much God loves us. Jesus actually comes right out and says it in Luke chapter 4. He says these words. These are his, not mine. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus said his concern for people who are captive in sin actually brought him to this earth. That's what we celebrated at Christmas. And he makes a declaration. And the declaration is this. I came so that you could be free. So that you don't need to be enslaved to anything anymore. He says to people who are spiritually and physically blind, I've come so that you can see me. So that you can walk by faith, not just by sight. He says to people who are discouraged and depressed and lonely and under spiritual attack and lost, he's saying to each one of us, there's a way out of that. You don't need to be a slave to that anymore. And he says, this is going to be the year of the Lord's favor. I don't know if anybody's going to join me, but I've claimed Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19 as our verses for 2011. I believe 2011 is going to be a defining year for Christ the King. I think it's going to be defining because we are going to see a God and walk with a God who's both with us and for us and doesn't want to see us chained to that old garbage one day longer. So if you long to be free, if you're finally at a point where you can admit that you cannot do this on your own, if you're finally at a point where, where you've surrendered, not to your sin, but to the God who can set you free, then you're taking the very first step on a very long journey that the Bible calls the road out. There's one deeply discouraging facet to the journey of Exodus. It takes much longer than four days. It takes longer than four years. It takes longer than ten years. If you stick with us through the whole series, I'll actually tell you just how long it takes. But let's just say that I'm old enough to have eclipsed it by just about four years, and that's a long time. If you're going to take the very first steps on the road out, let's review what God is going to ask us to do just to get started. Number one, you need to acknowledge that you're in captivity. If you can't acknowledge it, you're in denial. Pastor Melanie Kemp is our recovery pastor. She shared with me something. I've heard this before. You know what denial stands for? Don't even know I am lying. I don't even know that I'm lying to myself about this particular level of captivity. If you can't acknowledge it, you're either in denial or you're still just trying to find a way to justify it. How do you know if you're there? Well, there are some very familiar catchphrases that we find ourselves saying when we are 
not wanting to admit that we're in captivity to something. So if you've ever heard, your say, heard yourself say, it's not that big of a deal. I can quit anytime I want to. I can do this on my own. Nobody understands me. I don't need that anymore because I am officially recovered. Careful of that one. If you've ever heard you say lots of other people are doing things that are way worse. Or if you've ever told the biggest Christian lie on the face of the planet. I'm fine. Then you're captive. Maybe you're captive to more than just your artificial God. Maybe you're actually in a prisoner or a prisoner in a prison in a very lonely place called stuck. Saying out loud is hard, but it can be a beautiful thing, and it's one of the first steps you have to take. It takes an unbelievable amount of courage to say, I'm an alcoholic. It takes an amazing amount of courage and strength to say, I'm a control freak. It takes an unbelievable amount of courage to say, I am a pre-processed, hypocritical, religious Pharisee. And that my addiction is religion. It takes a lot of courage to say that you're addicted to making people like you. It takes a lot of courage to say, I'm a drug addict or a relationship junkie or something else. You fill in the blank. It takes a lot of courage to say, I'm in captivity. I am not fine. So I'm going to, number two, cry out to God for help. That step on the road to recovery and the road to wholeness starts with surrender. When you cry out to God, this is what you're saying. I give up. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm sick of being sick. And if that's you, here's the coolest thing I can tell you about Christ the King other than the fact that we love and serve Jesus passionately. It's this simple truth about this place. At this church, it's okay to not be okay. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row. You don't have to have arrived. In fact, if you think you have arrived, we'd like to get you into denial classes as quickly as possible. All right? It's okay to say you're not okay because when you're saying you're not okay, what you're really saying is, God, I need your help. And when you cry out to God for help, here's what you're beginning to do. You're beginning to, number three, you're beginning to believe that he hears and remembers and sees and is concerned about you. Now, I'm going to tell you something about those little phrases. Satan will tell you different. Satan will tell you God's death. That he stopped listening to you a long, long time ago. God, or Satan is going to lie to you. He's going to tell you that God remembers. That God remembers every rotten thing that you have ever done. And that he carries a grudge. And someday he's going to put you in his crosshairs. And you're going to get yours. Satan will tell you that God is blind to your pain, blind to your hurt, and that he doesn't give a flying rip about you. I want to remind you of something. Jesus and the Word of God had a name for Satan, and when he's saying those things to you, he's simply living up to that name. The Bible calls him the father of lies. He's the granddaddy of all liars. And when you hear that, you can know 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is lying to you. That's what he wants you to believe. When you hear in your head that God doesn't care, it's a lie. The truth is God's deeply concerned about you and wants you to follow and trust him on the road out, which is the final point. That's number four. You need to trust in God to guide you on the road out. It starts with one step of faith, one acknowledgement, one prayer, one moment of clarity that says, I just don't want to do this life this way anymore. I have a love-hate relationship with the business on the corner of our parking lot. Now, some of you are going, love-hate? Stick with me for a minute, okay? I have a hate relationship with lovers on the corner because I believe that they have taken one of the most beautiful gifts that God has ever given his people. I believe he's taken one of the most sacred, intimate moments that was intended to be shared between a husband and a wife for a lifetime. I believe they've taken it. I believe they've dipped it in lust. I believe they've candy-coated it and said there's a counterfeit that will fill a hole in your soul. And I believe in doing that, that it's wrecking marriages and families and men's thought lives and women's processes. And I just think it's just jacking the whole thing up. Do we love every single person that's ever walked in their doors? We better. Because it's our responsibility to stand here on this side of the parking lot and say, Jesus has something better. He loves you. That's intimacy. You can experience it. God wants to set you free. I think sexual intimacy is beautiful. I think it's gorgeous. I think it's fantastic. I like it. It's good. I'm married. I'm allowed, okay? But my heart breaks when I see people walking in there fooling themselves into thinking that that's what intimacy looks like when it's not. So that's where the hate part of the relationship comes in. But there's actually a part of that establishment that I love. Stay with me now. No sound bites from there, okay? I love a fact. Um, I teach a class here at Christ the King called Ownership. It's an opportunity for the newest people that are coming to Christ the King to come in and basically just hear our story. And I love teaching that class because I get to tell them how God has loved this place and protected this place and has been deeply concerned about it for a really, really long time. And as we wrap up the class, I always ask the question, how did you guys hear about us? Because I love hearing that. 90% of the time plus, they heard about us through a friend who comes here and invited them. That's how powerful your invitation is. But I noticed another answer to that question start to show up a couple of months ago. I heard it from three different families. They all had the same story. They said, we pulled into town, we were brand new, and we were filling up with gas somewhere on the southern part of town, and we went into a gas station, and we asked the guy behind the counter, hey, do you know of any good churches in the area? And he answered the same way all three times. He said, you know, I don't do church. I don't do church, but I've heard good things about the church on the guide with the big blue signs. And here's how you get there. 
You just drive up the guide, turn left at the porn shop. They're right behind there. <laughs> Heard it three times. I got to find this guy. I got to find him. I'll say thank you. <laughs> up the guide, left at the porn shop. They're right behind there. first time I heard it, I didn't know whether to laugh, cry, be offended, not be offended. But this week I started thinking this. Isn't that awesome? And beautiful? Just turn left at the porn shop. God's grace and forgiveness right there. Just turn left at the heartbreak. God's grace and God's people are right there. If you don't turn, they're going to come looking for you because that's what we're called to do. Just turn left at the corner of disappointment and discouragement. God's right there with a road out. Don't just blow on by. Just turn at the eating disorder. Turn at the religious fixation. Turn at the legalism that says you're the only one that's good enough to get into heaven. Just turn at the apathy and doing it the way you've always done it. Just turn right there and what will be waiting for you is a God who's with you and for you and has written out directions to this beautiful thing called an exodus. The road out. The road out of slavery to freedom. The road out of prison to emancipation. The road out of what once was and in the direction of what could be. At the end of the road out is a wonderful cross that demands our life, our soul, and our all. This is going to be amazing. Let's pray. God, I'm already stoked for next week. Because as we sit here today, contemplating whether we're going to turn to your grace and forgiveness. God, as we sit here in this place, we already have a promise that you said that you can hear us. That you see us, that you remember us, that you're deeply concerned. So, Father, we appeal to that concern and we ask for the courage to turn. To turn away from what is into a world of, of what could be. To turn away from whatever it is that's bound us up for so long and to set us free. To turn away from whatever it is within us that, that keeps us quiet and mute 
and instead will transform us into someone who has the courage to stand up and say, God's got a road out, and I'm going. Father, thank you for the grace that has covered us, those of us who've maybe already taken a few steps in the journey on the road out. Lord, I pray for those who are still scared about what it means to fully surrender to you. God, as we walk this journey, would you walk it with us? God, I'm excited about next week because just a couple of verses later, you had a face-to-face encounter with Moses and you said, Moses, I need you to do something. I need you to throw it down. And Moses threw down a symbol of his identity. And God, next week, we're going to gather back together and we're going to throw something down. Because we're walking a new journey in a new direction. And you are with us. And we are both frightened and excited. God, as we open up this ancient book with a modern group of people, may we forever know that you are with us and you are for us. May our journey to freedom begin today. And all of God's people said, amen and amen.